Hello all and welcome to another edition of the Mets podcast. Today's episode features guest Tom Galvin. Tom went to the same college as me and Mike Bresnak at the University of Maryland College Park. Uh, Tom's at law school right now. He is smarter and more successful than both me and Mike. You can hear that in his takes about the Mets. Again, this is part of our growth segment where we ask you, the fans, about the Mets offseason to grade them on a scale of A to F. Uh, talk about our biggest area of improvement from 2020 to 2021. What are you most disappointed about? What's the biggest strength and weakness going into the 2021 season? And then, of course, your predictions for the NL East and X Factors. And then fun memories, the good ones and the bad ones. There's plenty of both being a Mets fan. A lot of bad ones, but this year we're gearing up for some good ones. So, guys, take a listen. I uh, had a lot of fun filming this with Tom. He'll definitely be a guest coming back on the show. He knows a lot about the Mets Uh, Very good guy. So please give it a listen. Also, you can follow us on Twitter at Mets Maniacs Pod. We also have an Instagram. Yes, you heard right. We have an Instagram. We are posting content to that Instagram. It's a lot of fun. You can see the faces behind the maniacs. We're getting extra maniacal on Instagram. I highly suggest you follow us. Uh, Our username is Mets Maniacs underscore. That's Mets Maniacs underscore on Instagram. Again, like I mentioned last episode, we made an announcement over Twitter. We're now partnered with Metsmerized Online, so you can find us at metsmerizedonline.com in the digital content section. As always, please leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. You can also find us on Spotify, Breaker, Twitcher, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, Radio Public, wherever you get your podcasts. We have a link tree, too, in the Twitter. Uh, you could click on that, and it'll show you all those platforms that we're available on. Can you not find the Mets Maniacs podcast where you get yours? Please reach out to us. I don't know how you would be listening right now, but if you have a recommendation, I will listen and work to get that in. So we're going to give you a brief ad message because that's how it goes in these parts, and we'll get right to it. Thank you, guys. Stick around. Is the lighting in here okay? I know you're about to record or something like that. Everything like. No, dude, you look great too. Honestly, uh, unfortunately, we can't we can't put the video on. I know you uh, declined to get a picture in. Uh, yeah, I don't want that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, dude, let's get this underway. So uh, maybe if you want to start uh, for a little intro, you can tell everybody, you know, like where you're from, name, what do you do, age, to kind of get us uh, warmed up here. All right, so uh, I'm Tommy Galvin. Um, I'm 24 from Annapolis, Maryland. Um, I've been a Mets fan since 2006, uh, would have been earlier, but I just wasn't a baseball fan before that. And um, yeah, really like in the second half of 2006. So I was lucky that they had that, that great year. Um, love the Mets. Luckily I got to go to a spring training game last year. So I actually did see some baseball in 2020. So um, it, that does make me a bigger Mets fan than pretty much everyone else. But <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, I'm pumped for this year. It's going to be great. Yeah. I'll also mention too, Tommy's also University of Maryland grad, uh, like me and Mike. Uh, so we got our uh, small but uh, circle of Mets fans, you know, um, that we're trying to stick together now. So um, that being said, uh, as you guys know, I've said on a previous episode, we have uh, distributed kind of like a grading rubric for the Mets offseason. Um, so Tom, I'm just going to kind of walk you through your takes here and you can elaborate where need be. Uh, so the first question here is on a scale grading letter scale for rating the Mets off season, 
Um, you gave the Mets an A or an A minus, uh, mostly depending on if they can extend Lindor, Conforto. Um, if you want to dive into that, maybe like, you know, the best moves of the offseason or your general takes, maybe disappointments, anything else you want to note? Right. Well, Lindor is the best move of the offseason. Right. Lindor and Carrasco, you know, maybe Jimenez would have turned out to something. I kind of had given up on Rosario. Uh, not just the bat, but just, he could not play shortstop last season whatsoever. Um, you know, maybe maybe Jimenez turns out to be a league average shortstop, maybe a little bit better, but I don't think there's much hope beyond that for him. Right. Um, Become a Lindor, that's, that's a stretch, exactly. I mean, no, they, no. I mean, no shot, like not even close to that. And right. then what they gave up two prospects that were, I think it was in their number 12 and 14 or something like that of their top prospects. So like, mm -hmm. you know, who cares? <laughs> yeah, no, really, no but top like, tens, but yeah. <laughs> but like, that's not much. And then they got this year of Carrasco and then what, it's two more years of Carrasco after that. Yep. I mean, they, Carrasco was better than any pitcher on the market that wasn't named Bauer. He was better than like Odorizzi or Walker or Paxton or Kluber, anyone that we were looking at seriously at the start of the offseason. That's better. Carrasco's better. Um, and, you know, look at his stats. He was in a, probably usually about a mid three guy. Then he had the cancer and came back. But like a mid three in the AL, what is that in the NL? A three? You know, he's not going to have to face the DH this year. I really like that move. Um, and then if they can extend Lindor, obviously. That's a big part of it because otherwise it's just a rental. Um, I yeah. was slightly disappointed about Springer. Right, I was going to bring that but, up. But but at the same time, what he has two more years in center field, two three more years in center field, uh, and maybe if you extend or if you sign Springer, you don't get to extend Conforto. And I I pick Conforto over but i think if you don't extend conforto then there's no excuse for not getting springer so obviously this grade is kind of dependent on a couple of things but i do think they're going to extend both of those guys i do um do you think they're going to extend either stroman or syndergaard not stroman and i wouldn't um syndergaard i i wouldn't i don't know i wouldn't extend him now yeah you can't um, you, we don't know how he's going to come back and then and then he's going to be a free agent so they would be the any extension talk would be based off of you know i don't know maybe before free agency hits one in the off season right before free agency hits which i mean maybe but if he has a great year he's going to want to go do free agency so do you not want to re-sign stroman maybe because uh more of a concern for re-signing other bigger name players like we said in door guard conforto or maybe like says he say he has a really good year in 2021, uh, maybe that changes things. Or do you think like the strength more lies in these, you know, position players that we want to keep for like five plus more years? Well, that's the thing. Yeah, that's the thing too, is is sooner rather than later, Alonzo, McNeil, Nimmo, Smith, all these guys are going to- like, They're going to be expensive. Yeah. Going to start coming. And we're not going to be able to keep them all. And the th you can't have too many $20 million players on the team. You just can't. And also, Strowman's 5'7". How long is he going to last? <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. What he's thrown a decent amount of innings in right. his career. He's thrown a decent amount of innings. I don't know how long he's going to last. Um, I, I just wouldn't. I hope he has a great year. I like the guy. I hope he has a great year. He clearly loves being a Met. Um, so, yeah. I really no, he... like him. I just wouldn't, wouldn't extend him. 
Yeah, I hear you too. And and, and kind of going off into pitching too, I, I saw you noted here too, like, you know, you're happy that there's no Mats, Porcello or Walk on the team. <laughs> I, I think that's also like, we're in, we're in agreement there, me and Mike. Um, I guess too, um, how do you feel this year about the bullpen? Obviously we had the injuries to Lugo, uh, knocking him for a little bit. He won't be around for opening day, which is going to be tough. We added Trevor May into the bullpen loop. Um, but we've seen some shaky performances. Obviously, it's very early in the offseason. Uh, but from Familia and Batances, uh, you're not too sure what you're going to get out of them. How confident are you in the Mets bullpen uh, in 2021? I don't think I've been confident in the Mets bullpen since I've been a Mets fan, <laughs> except for when Billy Wagner Maybe. was out there. Um, yeah, in 2015, too, when we added a couple guys. Like, we had, we had some more weapons. Addison uh, Reed. Yeah, that was better. Uh, but, yeah. Uh, heard, yeah. <laughs> Um, really was actually I mean, very familiar. Like I hate that guy. Um, <laughs> uh, Eleven million dollars uh, for this year—that's terrible. I, I don't know, uh, but I don't have any faith in Batances or Familia, and I have minimal faith restored in Edwin Diaz after last year. Like he had a—he had a very good year, but I don't know. I need a—I need more to trust him after 2019. I love the Trevor May signing. Um, I think Sam McWilliams is going to be the underrated move. I think he's going to be great. Okay. Um, he threw a great inning the other day, I, I think. Um, and then we'll see what happens with, like, Lucchese, if he ends up being in the bullpen or, or where he's at. Um, I could also see a lot of teams doing six-man rotations this year just because everyone threw 70 innings last year. You go from 70 to 200, that might be an issue. Um, but I think Lucchese was a great pickup too. I could see, I don't know what they're going to do with Yamamoto if he's going to be spot starring in the bullpen, but I like that move too. I like Yamamoto and I like Tejon Walker. I think both of those two, mm -hmm. to your point, maybe could become the six men depending on their performance. But uh, if anything, like that I've learned as a Mets fan, especially last year in 2020, I'll be at a different year, but you can't have too much starting pitching depth. So it'll be interesting to see what happens when Syndergaard returns. But um, I think a lot of Mets fans, including myself, um, I'd say I was just more disappointed with the way Bauer went down, not going to the Mets and going over to the Dodgers and kind of getting teased. And that's just Bauer's personality and who he is. But I was um, the Lindor Carrasco trade kind of caught me off guard, of course, in the best of ways. But I guess I was just expecting another big name signing for pitching, uh, even though like I look at the team now and I think we have a lot of bright spots that didn't really happen. And we placed a lot of, I think, smart strategic bets uh, in people like Yamamoto, like Walker, who could blossom into uh, like legitimate um, viable starters for the team. Um, but yeah, I think my concern more lies, uh, with the bullpen. Um, but that being said too, uh, I see here for some of your, uh, additional disappointments for the off season was a uh, real Muto. And I know kind of the big three going in were Springer, Bauer, and Romuto. And Mike and I were talking. We thought, you know, maybe we'll get all three with Steve Cohen's money. Uh, we were kind of overzealous at the time. Uh, that didn't happen. And his contracts obviously, like, didn't break barriers with the Phillies, which I think uh, a lot of Mets fans were disappointed about. Um, maybe you could go into that a little more. If there was any other, you know, big disappointment that you had or uh, any, any problem with Alderson or, or the way we acquired other players in the offseason or didn't? I don't think that I don't I wouldn't call Real Moto, Real Moto a big disappointment. Um, you know, in this offseason that we had, especially from as a Mets fan looking at our previous ones, you, you had kind of had to reach a little bit to for the disappointments. Like it would have been nice to get Real Muto, but um, 
I understand what happened. Like they weren't going to wait. They, they weren't going to pay him what he wanted at the time. He thought he was going to get more money. They're not going to play the waiting game with him then because then McCann goes off the table and then they're stuck. And then Real Moto has all the leverage. Like I understand why they, why they didn't play that game. And then, you know, the, the off season was so slow and Real Moto wasn't getting the money that he wanted anywhere. So you know, yeah. he took a, he'd probably, I mean, if you told him at the beginning of this off season that that was the deal he was going to get, he'd probably be pretty pissed off. Right. So. Yeah. I, I think, uh, I think too, just kind of, if what I think too, for the Mets off season, I think it obviously overall was a success. And I think just in the way things turned out of, in my mind, I kind of painted the paradigm of, okay, if no Springer, then Real Muto. If no Real Muto, then Bauer. It kind of went down the line for those top three. So when we didn't get any, um, you know, it, sometimes it was easy to lose sight of the other additions that we made, like in May, Lindor, Carrasco, everybody else that we signed, like the smart bets that I said. Um, but, I never wanted Bauer. You know, I, uh, it, he was a lot, but to have Bauer and DeGrom as a one-two, I don't know if there's a stronger one-two punch in baseball. Maybe now it's Kershaw-Bauer. I mean, we'll see let, how he pitches. Let me ask you this. Okay. If we're going to discount all the bad years that people had last year, right? Oh, no, it was just a shortened year. You know, you can't take that too seriously. Why are, we, why are we putting so much stock in these guys that had great, like, 12 games or something like that? You know, Lindor wasn't, wasn't great last year. He had a 758 OPS. Does that mean that Lindor is, like, not great? No. I mean, I don't think Bauer is that good. He's There's good. No- Bowers pitching against the Detroit Tigers, the uh, Royals, the Pirates for, I don't know, 20 of his 20 games of the 60 that the uh, Reds played last year, too. Yeah, I mean, there, it's, it's, you can't, it can't be both ways, right? I think so, to give him 40 million, it's ridiculous. Right. No, I think, I think the money, I think you're right there. So for the Mets, there's definitely, there's got to be a line where you're just not going to cross. And they're like, well, if the Dodgers wants to take the risk, let them. So I think that was smart. But also on the flip side of that, I don't think, and again, he pitched against maybe not the highest quality offenses. Um, but to me, what really stood out was the performance he had against the Braves last year. Not saying that they had one of you know the best offenses in the league, but still in a high pressure game, he shut them down. I think he pitched seven innings, maybe two hits, a walk and struck out like 12 or 13. But I think if you're just looking at his numbers, um, like his velocity or his spin rate from the flip side, I don't know if there's much, much to suggest that he wouldn't continue his success into 2021 and beyond. Um, so I still think he could excel and repeat those numbers, but also, you know, I, there's a I chance he, he doesn't. And it, is it worth 40 plus million? I'd say no. I think uh, he, he's going to be good. Don't, don't get me wrong. I think he's going to be good. I don't, I mean, do I think he's going to have a one, seven, three? No. Um, but I think he could, although they are deadening the ball. So who knows, but like, yeah, Bowers always had great stuff. He's always had great stuff. Right. He was a huge prospect. He was like a top 10 prospect. Um, and then in what, 2018, he had a two, two, one. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And then the next year he had a four, four, like a four. Yeah. He rebounded. Um, so like, I think his, his career is like a three, eight or a three, nine. Um, I don't know. I just, I didn't think that. I don't think he was worth 40 million. I didn't think that I didn't think that I don't think the Mets are one piece away. And so this was probably going to be a one year deal. Right. And then things get more normal. Like, I don't think the Mets are one piece from that's why I didn't, I would never do a, like a Chris Bryant trade. 
what, yeah. what do we want him for one year? Yeah, you know, they're not the, the Mets aren't one just great piece away from being World yeah. Series contenders. The, Mets like window, the, the Dodgers and Padres still exist. Yeah, the Mets window yes. is also long too. So one year rental doesn't make a ton of sense. You kind of almost want to build for the future a little bit, like trading for somebody who you might be taking on a lot of money, but at least you have like four or five years of control over him. Uh, I don't know. That's why I kind of, I definitely leaned more towards Arenado despite his splits, uh, his kind of four away splits over Bryant, just because the Mets window is longer than one year. You sell, like you said, you sell McNeil, Alonzo, who are still on rookie contracts and then need arbitration for a couple of years. So they're going to be cheap for the next three or four years, at least you have pitching who uh, is a huge question mark, but that's a question mark pretty much every team every year. So I don't know for me, at least I agree with you. I, I think a, we're more than one player away but this is a team that's also got like a three four five year window yep. yeah i agree no i think that's a good point i think bauer too just going back to him real quick uh he also has one of the worst builds i've seen from a pitcher like they got to make him run a couple more laps around the outfield <laughs> I don't know what's going on. but uh i don't know how long that's gonna last now bartolo cologne begged to differ uh you know his build wasn't the best although he was beautiful um you know he still got the job done but uh, third base too, Tom, I, I see you noted here about JD Davis, obviously, you know, not the best scenario having slotted in at third base, but, um, maybe, uh, you know, touch on your thoughts on him, both defensively and offensively and how you feel for him starting out, uh, the season at third base, potentially there might be a platoon option. If you want to get your may in, um, what do you, what do you think of the third base situation? I think he, I mean, the guy can hit, mm -hmm. obviously he can hit as a right hander. Uh, yeah. yeah, and that's a, like we need that. I think he's unplayable at third base. Yeah, I mean he has he's a missile. He's got a hose piece. Oh, um, right. He was a pitcher. He was a closer in college. Yeah, yeah. He um, pitched. I mean, yeah. you can see it. But uh, I, he was working with Lindor too. I saw some good plays last year. Even um, some good stops. I think like fundamentally, he looks a little awkward out there still. I'm willing to, uh, you know. Give him the benefit of the doubt also because he's so loved within the clubhouse. Like you see Dom Smith kind of joking with him all I mean, the time. I like the dude. I like him. Yeah. Uh, I just don't like a negative two defensive war, which is what <laughs> he had in, 20, in 2019. He was worth, you know, in that great year, he had 22 home runs, right? And had like 80 something RBIs and he batted 300. I think he had an 880 OPS and he had a negative two defensive war. So his overall war was like one point something. And who's behind him? You know, you got Dom Smith playing behind him. So it's not exactly the best, uh, you know, setup you got in left field. Someone pulls the ball down the line. Um, so, yeah, I, I think we're definitely hurting left side of the infield. And of course, Lindor has range. And the argument has been made that maybe he'll help out Davis because he can cover more ground, uh, shrinking Davis's window. But again, he needs to execute on balls within that gap. And I still uh, I think that remains to be seen if he can do so at at least an average level. Uh, but I, if I think he does do that, um, the Mets will be looking uh, pretty just for his back <laughs> in the lineup. But. I think average level is crazy wishful thinking. I think a playable level is is what we're dealing. That's what we're shooting for. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I think he belongs in the American League, but I don't know. I I, I don't. I, Lin, uh, Guillaume. Hit well last year, obviously, small sample size. Uh, um, I could see a platoon with them. I wouldn't hate that um, because, you know, that lineup is so deep, so deep now that I feel like you can have one defensive-minded player out there. 
or just right when you're getting later in the games, just Paul Davis putting Guillaume. Uh, we might see more of that this year as we're closing out close ones. Uh, so I think we have a lot of options, which is good. We can be very flexible. I think they're going to do that a lot with Almora and Pilar too. Uh, right. For moving him out of left, put maybe bench Pete, uh, put Pilar, Almora in center, and then put Dom at first. Swing Dom. You don't think – you guys don't think that Almora is going to start in AAA? No, I do think that. Yeah, because now there's five outfielders. Yeah. Yeah. If, if Dom Smith is probably going to be a left fielder. I think Jose Martinez could be a uh, casualty at the end of spring training too. Uh, I always forget about Martinez, right? Yeah, we got a we got a lot of outfielders, a lot of corner outfielders. Um, but yeah, but um, also let's uh, jump into predictions for the season twenty twenty one. I see you say here that a lot of models overrate the Mets, underrate the Braves. So you got the Braves finishing first, followed by the Mets, followed by the Nats, then Phillies, then Marlins. Um, with the Mets finishing at a 90, uh, 72 record. Um, I guess here, um, you know, if you could go into like, let's say the biggest X factor for us to achieve a 90 win plus season, uh, to make that happen, what player on the Mets has the ability to impact the team the most? Hmm. Well, I think honestly, Stroman, <laughs> I think it's going to be, if, if Stroman pitches like a two or like pitches very like well like he did if you take the, all of last of 19 yeah 2019 like if he has a three two and then the Mets have DeGrom or Syndergaard too honestly uh DeGrom Carrasco Stroman Syndergaard comes back in June and pitches decently that's I wouldn't want to face that team in a playoff series especially right. with that offense you know um yeah, so if the Mets make, can make the playoffs, I wouldn't want to face them. I would not want to face them with that pitching staff and the offense because they can hit. They that's, can what hit. I, that's what I've been telling Mike, too. I think, um, you know, look, the Dodgers and the Padres, I think no way around it, are better than the Mets on paper. Going into a playoff series, though, like we saw in 2015, the Dodgers and the Cubs uh, were better than the Mets on paper. I thought the Royals were worse than the Mets on paper. Look how everything panned out, you know? So it's, it's tough to see till we get there. Uh, and then even with a guy like David Peterson, uh, I was telling Mike before this podcast started, I love his gusto. I feel like at the end of last year, he was pitching with a lot of confidence. Uh, he was getting fired up on the mound. Um, so that's good to see. And to have a guy like that in, in your fifth spot, I mean, I think his ceiling could be a three, a pitcher. So uh, we'll, we'll see what happens, but I think that's a good point too, with Syndergaard kind of an unknown, so when he comes back, uh, if he can, you know, come back to his form and, you know, pitch close to a three or even three, five. Yeah. That's, that's a scary team. So, I mean, I just view Syndergaard as a, as a, as a deadline addition about, about the same thing. Like, you know, I think June, he, he looks good and I see all like the videos of him throwing. Um, so maybe June is, is accurate, but even if it's later um, yeah, I just think he's going to come in. Hopefully he can pitch well. I'm sure he'll be on a pretty strict innings and pitch limit, but I could see I mean, them running a six man rotation when Stroman, uh, Syndergaard gets back and pitching him every sixth day, just because like you said, he's probably on an innings limit. And when he does come back, I do see the possibility of like Lucchese, Yamamoto, Peterson, two of those three going back into the triple uh, right. A. And yeah, I think Peterson has uh, like what you're saying earlier, Peterson does have a lot of potential. I mean, he was a number, he was a first round draft pick not too long ago. It's big, big dude, lefty. Yeah, he's got the. He's taller than Stroman. He's, you know, he's not that five seven. <laughs> he, should, he should last a little longer. As as a five nine dude, I took a slight to your comment. Um, 
Um, yeah, and, and I also think it's good to know that we have legitimate, you know, viable uh, spot starters than having to rely on guys like Oswald uh, or pulling up Lockett. I, I can't even remember some of these other guys coming up to start last year. We had some names, man. Yeah, Zellman, um, Chris Mazza. Oh, yeah. Mazza, yeah, I was one. Um, but, yeah, no, it, it'll be good. I think, I think we're deep there. Um, but – that being said, I think uh, this is a good segment here. What I want to do is favorite and least favorite memories as a Mets fan, because uh, obviously being one, you know, uh, the good moments are just as good as the bad moments are bad. And we've had a lot of experience in the latter category. So uh, how about let's start out with your least favorite moments so we can end on a high note. Um, I see here your uh, first one's the 07 collapse. I mean, that's I remember where I was as a kid. Uh, you know, I cried. Um <laughs> I still would now probably, but uh, yeah, I'll let you take yeah, it. Yeah, I was at, I think I was playing a fall ball game during the last game of the season. And I didn't, so I didn't, I couldn't watch it. And I just like, I didn't have a phone at the time. So did your um, dad have to break it to you? Did he sit you down? <laughs> he was a coach, so he wasn't watching either. Oh, um, wow. And so he just looked, I can't remember who pitched. It might've been Tom Glavin, right? That it pitched the last game of that season. Yeah. yeah. Um, that fucker. Uh, and yeah, that sucked, but I, I also wasn't really old enough to like really feel the pain, I think, mm-hmm. but Beltron watching strike three was bad. I cried at that. Yeah. And then I forgave him for a long time and now I don't like him again. Because of the whole scandal with the Astros. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I don't, I think that might kill his hall of fame chance. Uh, it's unfortunate because he's such a rare player, you know. But, he deserves. Uh, I think he just off his off the stats, his game, everything like that. He he deserved to be in the Hall of Fame. I th- I don't I don't think it's going to kill it. I think it might delay it. This is, um, I mean, debatably like the best Mets center fielder of all time. I think in our lifetime, uh, yeah. definitely. But you know, he was oh, yeah. everything, man. Oh yeah. Beltran's um, swipe in third base was one of the favorite things to watch. I think he had like a plus seventy percent. Uh, chance of, of stealing the base, man. He, was so he hated getting caught stealing. He hated it. He um, he, he would even say like, uh, I'd rather go like twenty and zero than forty and five. And Willie Randolph was like, Nope, we'd rather <laughs> be forty and five. But yeah, no, Beltran could have stole way more bases too. He just hated getting caught stealing. You know, I loved uh, Keith Hernandez talking about Beltran's uh, strides and how graceful they were. Every time he'd like like a double or something, he'd be like, oh, beautiful strides, wonderful running. Look at those legs. <laughs> it was great, dude. Um, but yeah, I also see on uh, your least favorite memories, um, which I got a kick out of when Eric Campbell and John Mayberry were in the three and fourth hole. Which that's was, the one that's the one on there that makes me the most angriest. The, the other ones make me sad, but was that 2014? Was, was that 2015? No, it wasn't 15. Right. That might have happened in 2015, yeah, early in, in the April. season. In April? Yeah, um, 14, 15, some, somewhere around then, right? That, was, was, that would make sense. Before Conforto, before Cespedes, their corner outfielders could have been like John Mayberry Jr. And Wright was hurt, so he could have been easily Eric Campbell at third. Remember Scott and, Harrison, too, when he was our slugger? He was actually pretty good for a little Scott, bit. Scott Harrison had one good year for the best. I, I like um, Scott there, Harrison. There was, a, when, when John Mayberry and Eric Campbell batted three and four, they both had batting averages below the Mendoza line. Yeah. <laughs> so tough. Yeah. And they batted them three and four. And, like, that, that shouldn't have been. 
the case either because I mean I know Granderson was banging lead off that year, but like just move him because that just can't. I don't understand how you could write a lineup and know that these guys both have batting average below 200 and be like, yeah. Dude, yeah. What I don't understand is the year Granderson hit like 25 home runs. He had like 40 RBI. Yeah, because he was leadoff. He put the record, dude. That was 16, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> dude, the worst was like looking at the lineup card. Like when uh, the half inning was over and the Mets were coming up to bat and you'd see like Tejada, Campbell, Mayberry. And you're like, I might just watch something else. This <laughs> 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 is terrible. But yeah, glad that's over, man. Glad that's over. The dude, Ike Davis fiasco is uh is beyond us so uh we're on to better years um that being said better years man let's talk about favorite memories here uh obviously the 06 andy chavez catch off was scott Rowland hit that deep to left i mean and i'll think about that sometimes on uh quiet days i agree with you there um you were at david wright's last game with your father right yeah in city field it was pretty awesome uh he walked and then they took him out like pretty early i want to say like a fourth inning something like that but I guess they just didn't want him to like end on a strikeout or something like that no I know I just you know for me I always think about David Wright's last game and I obviously compare it to our crosstown rivals and the Yankees and he was kind of like for me our Jeter growing up obviously I was at Jeter's last game too you were oh see and that (laughs) dude the difference like still like as emotional for me as a fan but like Jeter all the accolades he had I think Wright deserved a world series it's a shame he couldn't get one couldn't have the long career he wanted and then what Jeter last home game, he gets that home run and then obviously finishes his career with a walk-off hit compared to Wright pops out and they take him out. Obviously different circumstance. Wright's back. Was but that like was Derek Jeter's last game but in Yankee stadium. In Yankee stadium. That's he had, right. a, he had that single to right field. His 3000th hit was a homer. That's right. Yeah. And then the single his to right last, was game last game ever was at Fenway. That's the one I was at. I wasn't at the last oh. one at Yankee stadium. It was at yeah. Fenway and they had like, you honestly would have forget the Yankees Red Sox rivalry existed that day because everyone was like on their feet clapping um but yeah that was cool the david wright one was what that was emotional he's our don mattingly you know great career ended because of injuries his back i'd love to bring him back you know in in some capacity on the team um this is right now actually is the first time he hasn't been employed by the mets since like 2001 or something like that yeah, I don't know what he's up to. You should. Uh, I gave Mike the book, uh, the captain, uh, Anthony DeComo, and uh, helped write write the memoir. Right. Yeah, it's pretty new, right? Yeah, it's new, and it's dude. I got chills reading the 06, 07, like him talk about you know uh, the runs, the collapses. Like it's it's really great to hear him talk about like the personal side of everything he was going through at the time. Should have won the, the MVP in two thousand seven. Jimmy Rollins did not deserve that MVP. Is that the year? Oh, That's right. Thirty three and one twenty four, I believe. David Wright did that. Didn't Rollins um, hit like 30 homers that year and had like did. a ton of triples and stolen bases too. Yeah, that Phillies team was incredible. But if that if that happened today, if this MVP race happened today and the way that voters look at war and everything like that, David Wright would have won like not even close. David Wright had an 8.3 war, Jimmy Rollins had a 6.1. Well, I didn't know that. That's crazy. It was a difference of two. Also a beautiful face. You know what I mean? And no disrespect to Jimmy Rollins, but you're talking about Captain America here. You know, oh, he's so handsome. So great looking dude. Uh, also, of course, the 2015 Mets run was iconic. Uh, I still remember. Oh, my some, God. Because we were uh, we were freshmen in college, obviously, at that point. Um, yeah. And I don't, I don't know if I knew you that well. I think I uh, talked to you at one point outside uh, outside the dorm room. You know, we were just hanging outside. But um, no, I, I still remember some of those series, not even the playoff runs, although, of course, I rewatch. But the series against the Nats in the summer 
where uh, remember that ball was hit to, I think, center and Cespedes misplayed it, went to the wall. Michael Taylor hit an inside the park grand slam. And then Cespedes mm. gets back up. I think they were down like 7-1, 7-2. Yeah. And Cespedes rips one down the left field line, gets in a bunch of runs. Whoever was on the mound, um, Drew or something for the Nats. I forget who was pitching, but he walked in so many guys. And then I think we swept that series in every game. I was, I was at the third game of that series when Cespedes hit that home run. That was in like the, of an actual nail in the coffin. Was that off like, Strasburg, maybe? No, it was off a reliever. I can't remember. Who was the one who blew it all the time that year for them? Not uh, – It was our closer. Doolittle? Doolittle. Sean Do- no, it wasn't Doolittle. It was um, – I don't know if he's still in the league anymore. I can't remember his name. Not Fernando Rodney. Right? I mean, no, 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 no. no, no. Was the uh, guy who pitched for the Red Sox and Phillies beforehand choked out Bryce Harper? Not Papelbon. Oh, Papelbon, yeah. <laughs> That's how I remember him too. Um, no, dude, incredible. And then I also remember, like, Kirk Neuenheis hitting that home run, <laughs> I think, off Strasburg. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then we had uh, also in another game – or maybe the same game, Kelly Johnson breaking a 2-2 tie, pinch hitting, hitting a homer. Kelly Johnson. Johnson I mean, Uribe I, coming on the team. Man. That's that's what that made that Uribe team like. Packing bombs, dude. His jaws. I mean, no one has jaws as big as Uribe. It probably I mean, that's better what, for themselves, you know. I mean, that's what good teams have is they have, you know, those ben, that bench depth of guys who have been there before. Not Kelly Johnson, Juan Uribe. That was, I mean, they were huge for us that year. Yeah. I mean, also that year we had Wilmer Flores cry and then hit that walk off. Oh, God, I mean, I think, that I think was... Barry Cohen having that call too, and just listening to the Mets like SNY broadcast booth react was also uh, like made it that much better for me. Like, I still. Oh, dude, can we talk about no game today? Oh yeah, ridiculous. We're not getting broadcast on Frankie Degrom. We uh, uh, yeah, there was the first inning was actually on uh, Facebook. Someone like posted a recording of it. Degrom looked good. Uh, Mets, I'm checking right now the box score. Mets are up four nothing. Dom Smith has a home run. Alonzo has a uh, RBI double. Dude, I mean, people are paying thirty dollars a month for MLB TV, and there's three games on. They're getting stiffed. Broadcasted okay. today. Like, but but that's a good point, man. Um, even for the Mets this year, I mean, I don't know how the market's going to look come trade deadline, but maybe we could add a couple pieces, you know, that might not like complete the team, but give us the experience to kind of ride into the playoffs, you know, because I think we uh, we might be missing perhaps that kind of mentorship that we had in 2015 in uh, David Wright and Michael Kadire. Uh, and then obviously, like you said, Kelly Johnson, Uribe coming on the team. So um, there's definitely leaders on the team, but it's... Um, of course, the guys who went through it in 2015 are still on the team. I think an interesting uh, trade that just Conforto would be uh, oh the pitching staff too. Yeah, I'm still there too. Cindy yeah. with the Rays, if the Rays are out of it, you know how they kind of sold off. They gave up uh, Blake Snell and everything this year. Uh, like Charlie Mark Morton go as well. Kevin Kiermaier would be interesting. He's getting paid a lot, and he's getting paid over 10 million. I think he's a free agent at the end of the year too. And uh, obviously, he was in the World Series last year. He's got that experience and he's a much better defensive center fielder than anybody we have. The only issue with him is another lefty bat to a lefty heavy team already. So get Jed Lowry back. Get a utility. <laughs> <laughs> you think we could pry him from the A's? Um, I want Lowry and Chapman in that order. <laughs> I think Kiermaier is interesting. I mean, like I said before, you know that that. There's no holes in that offense right now. So I don't think it's that big of a deal to have one light hitting position player that can field. Like Kevin Kermeyer is by far the best center fielder in the league. Like not even close bar none. Um, So, yeah, I think that would be a really interesting move. I can't, I don't know why the Rays wouldn't go for it. 
you know, depending on how they play this year. But yeah, I mean, I, I could see, it depends on how the season goes. Like if they're leading the, like first in the division or it's close with them and the Braves, I could see them like even adding like Chris Bryant or something like that, making a big move at the deadline. If, if they actually might be one piece away at that time, but I don't, I don't know now though. I don't think, I think that, that we've pretty much seen everything that's going to happen. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm pretty satisfied with the team. And I'm, I'm also satisfied to see how, you know, our pitchers might respond uh, with James McCann on the helm. I know there was uh, a lot of complaints with Ramos, Syndergaard specifically, but I think uh, it's more problematic for the entire staff. I mean, Ramos was slow behind the plate. Uh, There's multiple instances that I talked about on the podcast where he couldn't – either he tried to backhand a ball because he couldn't, like, get down. Um, he looked like he was 40, and I think he's only, like, 32. Yeah. We talked about – we were, like, amazed at his age and how young he was, but – um. He's just slow, looked lazy behind the plate. And even in his framing, I think uh, wasn't that good. So McCann's definitely more of a leader. I think he takes more initiative. So it'll be interesting to see how, uh, you know, pitchers respond to that. Um, so I'm happy about it. Can't get worse. Change. Yeah, it can't get worse. It can't get worse. <laughs> and and I, I, I kind of buy his offensive, you know, Potential. I guess, come, like come up from the past two years. Uh, you know, he's not the first catcher to – to start figuring out how to hit late. You know, Carlos Ruiz did it pretty recently. He didn't start hitting, like he wasn't good until he was like 31. Um, there's like a pretty long history of catchers still hitting well after 30. Yeah, I think um, uh, like Yadier Molina too. I mean, he's, I mean, that's- a He was good all the time, yeah. Catchers, but- I mean, you could just but yeah, no, I mean, we watched, we saw McCann throw someone out the other day, didn't we? When's the last time you saw like Mets catcher <laughs> throw someone out? <laughs> Well, um, anything else you want to touch on for the 2021 Mets or uh, any other memories you got or something you want to leave uh, listeners with? Maybe your socials, Venmo, anything you want to throw on? <laughs> you know, subscribe to my OnlyFans. <laughs> <laughs> I know you got one. I know you weren't just looking this pretty for no reason. <laughs> um, no, I go Mets. It's, gonna, I, it's a great time to be a Mets fan. That's all. That's what I got to leave it with for, for the first time in a while. It's a, it's a great time. The future is looking up. Well, Tom, thanks for coming on. I uh, really appreciate your time, man. And uh, yeah, tell me when you're back in DC. I'll get those uh, board shorts back to you. They're safe. <laughs> thanks for having me. All right. Awesome. All right. Peace Thank out, you. guys.